to take just a minute to sort of pause. One of the core values that we've operated on, or under, I should say, in the entire time that we've been a church is uh, a, a very strong belief and conviction in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, while we have not always been the greatest at um, allowing that presence to come forth in a, in a service, we really are trying to be better at that. And so really, I want to take just a moment or two to have everyone be quiet and sort of seek God. And then I'm going to find out if there's anybody that you know feels like they have gotten a word from God. You just heard one, that Harry really believes that was something that God wanted her to share. Now, we operate under the biblical principle that you don't just take that to the bank and be done with it right? We always check things to make sure they line up with Scripture. That's part of what Scripture tells us to do with prophecy, right? We make sure that it lines up. Um, and so, but I also want to encourage people to sort of step out of their comfort zones. Uh, we use that word comfort zone a lot, but it does sort of apply in that we get into a place where we kind of just get comfortable with um, the way things are, and we, we stop taking risks. And as uh, John Wimber uh, famously said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? And that's the way we um, sort of walk in our faith is by taking risks. So, you know, if you have a sense that God is saying something, you know, keep in mind it might be for you, right? And it may not be something that you're a share, and that's fine. But we want to at least take that moment each week and uh, just sort of see if the Lord wants to do something, say something, wants to completely change the direction of the service, which, you know, is it, fine. So uh, let's just pause for a moment. Holy Spirit, I, I just invite you to come now, to come in, in a very real and tangible way, for we acknowledge that you're always here, but come in a way that touches us directly. your people, for we await what you have to say. Does anybody have any sense of God speaking to them? And uh, this includes our online viewers as well. If God's giving you a word, then uh, just type it out in the comment section and we can, we can share that with the congregation that way as well.
All right, that's Harry. Okay. Randy? Say that again. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort us. All right, I need a couple of people to go over and pray with for Harry's shoulder. Who, who would be willing to do that? Good. Okay, Chip and Brandy are going to go. All right, anything else? So that's what I'm talking about. If you don't, if you just get that slightest little nudge, just go ahead and speak. It's okay to be wrong, right? It's really okay. We're not going to tell you you can't come back. Um, <laughs> there's none of that that's going to go on. Uh, it's just simply a, uh, it, it's a learning experience. We're all learning, right? None of us are perfect at hearing God's uh, voice. And so it's something that unless we practice, we'll never get good at it. And so uh, it's just as important sometimes to know what God doesn't sound like because that helps us identify what he does sound like. John? What I hear him saying, and it's important not to focus on the basics of being said very lovingly, he's saying, I already know what's on your heart. I already know what you need. Why are you hesitant to come to me? Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll leave that part off the live stream. Well, okay, so Harry says she's better. Uh, all right. So to kind of just talk a little bit about our offering, uh, there's a woman named Abigail who's kind of tucked away in the Old Testament in uh, 1 Samuel 25. And she evidently was a very beautiful woman and she was unfortunately married to a very difficult man, and his name was Nabal or Nabal. Uh, and the Bible says this guy was so ill-natured that no one even wanted to talk to him. And so one day, King David is out, and he's uh, coming to visit as he is out in the woods, and he encounters Nabal, and, and, and first of all, he insults David's men who have come to him to try and to see if they could get some food or some supplies. And, and David is so mad that this has happened that he and several hundred of his friends are now going to come to Nabal's house and do away with him. And, uh, but Abigail, his wife, gets word that this is going to happen, and so she goes out to meet David before he can ever get to her husband. And so she pleads for his mercy, mercy and uh, she brings all sorts of gifts to David and... Uh, you know, she is begging for her husband's mercy, even though she didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't her problem, really. And David was so moved by her that he decided to spare this man's life. Now, in a sense, Abigail is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. Right? Jesus stood in that gap between a holy God and a sinful man. And he accepted the blame, even though he didn't do anything wrong either. But there's a difference. David spared Nabal's life, even though this Nabal is going to die very shortly afterwards from natural causes. But God didn't spare the life of Jesus. And Jesus willingly died for your sins so that we can all have eternal life. And so today, as we get ready to pray over our offering, uh, I just want to say that 
th this time of giving is really not about money. It's about us sort of standing in that gap just the, the way Jesus did. Because the resources that we have as a church stand in the gap for people who are hungry, people who need affordable housing, people who need a blessing in your life. And as a matter of fact, I have a card right here that's going to go out a little bit later today that is made up in part of the resources that you all have given to this church. And it's going to go to help uh, a young woman who's dealing with some uh, very debilitating physical issues and uh, doesn't have enough money to buy groceries. And so we're going to bless her uh, with a gift card. Um, and so those resources will continue to sort of allow us to do uh, these various kinds of ministries. And sort of like Abigail, you know, who brought this abundance of gifts to David, uh, sort of as a peace offering, your gifts can help develop that same sense of peace in someone uh, who desperately needs to feel it. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God and out of your great love and mercy, you have given us so much. As an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we give you our tithes and our offerings. And with them, we worship you and acknowledge your blessings upon us. Please now take them and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply their reach and influence. May they be a great blessing to many. We ask all this. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen. Well, in March of 2009, there was a Dutch artist whose name was Johan Vanderdong, and he decided that God needed a telephone number. So he got him one. He got him a cell phone number, to be exact, and he wanted to show that God was available anytime and anywhere, right? So this is him speaking. He says, in earlier times, you would go to a church to say a prayer, uh, in, he said in an interview, and now this is an opportunity to just make a phone call and say your prayer in a modern way. Well, it seems like a lot of people uh, appreciated the opportunity that uh, this hotline to God sort of afforded them. And within one week, God had gotten 1,000 messages on this line. Now, on one hand, I'd say it's pretty thrilling to know that over 1,000 people wanted to connect to God in that way. But on the other hand, you kind of have to wonder how people will feel once that connection is made. Because you see, when you, you call the number Vanderdong set up for God, what you hear on the other side of the line is this. And I always, this was just struck me as being very funny that someone would even say this. This is the voice of God. <laughs> I'm not able to speak with you at the moment, but please leave a message. Now, <laughs> 
<laughs> on one hand, it's kind of a whimsical story, right, about this man who's trying to help connect people to God through the use of technology. But, you know, if you really sort of stop and think about it a little bit beyond that, about the only thing this guy has managed to do <coughs> is to connect people to an altogether disconnected God. And when it gets down to the, the crucible of life, the, the, the really hard times, a lot of times even faithful believers can find themselves spiraling down into the, this darkness, um, this, this true despair. <coughs> and these low valleys can even bring with them some pretty debilitating um, depression. And I don't think any of us, no matter how strong a believer we are, is ever exempt from that kind of thing. I think in those times, so often, God remains silent. And so our pleading calls to his cell phone go unanswered. Kind of seems like maybe God's just shut it off. And that's sort of the situation the man named Asaph finds himself in today. Asaph is the author of Psalm 77. And uh, we're going to read through that today and then look at it a little bit. So if you want to follow along in a Bible, we're going to go through Psalm 77. We will also have it up on the screen. <coughs> so let's take a look. <coughs> Excuse me. Starting in verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, 
You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Well, Asaph was <coughs> pretty clearly in the midst of a particularly dark time when he wrote the psalm. <coughs> and yet by the end of the psalm, his whole tone had changed. Right? He seems more hopeful. And so this is over the course of writing 20 verses, not really that much. So you've got to kind of ask, well, what changed? What made the difference between the way he started and the way he finished? And I think what changed was Asaph's outlook because he knew that there was a secret to getting through these particularly difficult times when it seems like heaven is brass and God's not answering his cell phone. And I think what he discovered was that in the midst of his trouble and despair, Asaph demonstrates through this psalm how to deal with overwhelming problems. And I think he does this in two ways. First, he understands that you've got to turn to God first. And then secondly, we've got to remember who God is and what God did. So now let's look at that in a little bit more detail. So first, it's about turning to God first, and that's really in verses 1 and 2 where he talks about, I cried out to God for help. So Asaph is experiencing this time of, of, of really darkness, dark, deep trouble. And we don't really know what's going on in, in his life. There's not any context that would tell us that. Uh, so when Asaph's dealing with this major issue, something that's really grieving him, what does he do first? Does he make some assumption about God being mad at him or punishing him for some unrevealed offense and then ultimately turning away from him? No, that's what we do. <laughs> or at least that's what we tend to do. Asaph goes straight to God and he cries out. I think he's like the perfect example of divine stimulus and response. The stimulus is the trouble and the response is immediately to turn to God about it. So you, it begs the question, what's our response when we go through those kinds of hard times? I think way too many of us say something like this. Oh, God has abandoned me. He finally realizes how worthless I am. And he's just going to leave me here in this mess. See, I know that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. But look me in the eye. And tell me that you've never thought that in a particularly dark time. See, believing in a God whom you think is not at work in a time of deep trouble just adds insult to injury. Never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't change just because you're having a bad day or a bad week, or a bad month. Asaph was definitely having a bad day when he wrote this psalm. And yet, he goes right to God and talks about it. And I've said this many, many times, but we need to get the mindset that God is our first response and not our last resort. That we go to God first. And so Asaph 
turns to God first, and that's exactly what we should do. Now, if we do that, does that mean that God's going to immediately intervene and all of our troubles are going to be over? Well, of course not. It's possible, sure. But it didn't really work that out like that for Asaph. So it's important that we understand that what, what he did next as a step two. And that is to remember who God is and what God did. See, and in verse 11, I'm not going to read all these again, but he starts out, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. See, there are times in our life, especially when we're going through a crisis of some kind or, or you know, some sort of a trial, where we really just kind of have to grab ourselves by the nape of the neck and shake ourselves out of the pity that we've placed ourselves in and back into reality. And that's kind of what Asaph is doing here. So when you read through verses 11 through 14, it really sort of sounds like he's given himself a pep talk. You know, like he's trying to encourage himself. Now, I wonder where in the world he would have gotten an idea to do something like that. Well, I can't say this for sure, but I would be willing to bet it might have been from the king that he was serving. See, Asaph was sort of the minister of music when David was king. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says this, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Yeah, I think I'd be dis distressed then too. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So I think Asaph's taken a page right out of David's playbook, and he's strengthening himself in the Lord. He's basically reminding himself of who God is. Look at what he says. I will remember his deeds. I will remember your miracles. I will remember your works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. And this phrase that he keeps repeating, I will, I will, I will, I will, indicates that he's come to a place where he's determined. He's determined to do this. But he didn't stop with just remembering who God is. He took it one more step further and he remembered what God had done. Now, specifically in his case, he's thinking back to Israel's history and the time when God parted the Red Sea. And it enabled the nation to escape this, this instance of slavery that they were in, in, with in Egypt. And I think that's an example of great faith. Things were going badly for him. God was not doing anything that at least Asaph could see, could physically know was happening. But his faith never wavers. He didn't have what I would call circumstantial faith, right? In other words, his faith wasn't dependent upon his circumstances. It's pretty easy to have faith when everything is going okay. You know, life's good. Bank's got some money. Bank account has a little bit of money in it. Job's going all right. Relationships are going all right. But what about when those things kind of take a turn? Does your faith in God waver depending upon your circumstances? Asaph was demonstrating that that's not the kind of person that he was. 
There's another guy in the Old Testament that was kind of the same way. It's another uh, uh, famous guy named Job, right? And if you're not familiar with the story, Job lost everything he had. He lost his children, his wealth, his status, his health, because Satan was more or less trying to win a wager with God. Satan had said, look, if you take all that stuff away, I'll bet he won't worship you any longer. He's only doing it because you've given him lots of stuff. But even when all this had happened to him and Job's own wife is now urging him, look, you just need to curse God and get on with your life. He wouldn't do it. In fact, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, God, Job did not sin with his lips. See, faith is, faith is living without scheming. And I think far too often we try to scheme our way out of issues. It's obeying God in spite of feelings, in spite of circumstances or consequences, knowing that he's working out of a perfect plan and things will work out in his way and in his time. Asaph didn't completely solve his problems, but he did move out of the shadows of doubt into the sunshine of communion with God and the confidence that he had in him. I think one of the ways that, that we can do this, if you're not familiar with doing it, is to keep a diary. That when you have a good experience or something positive happens and you, know, you really know that God is doing something in your life, write it down. Write it down somewhere where you can then return to it in those darker moments, to remember that God is alive and well, and this too shall pass, and that God will once again work in your life. It's a way for us not to doubt in the darkness what God has told us in the light, because we have that reminder right in front of us. So remember who God is, and remember what he has done for you. Now to sort of land our plane today. Most of you, well, at least those of you that have been around the church for a while know that Hoosiers, the movie Hoosiers, is perhaps my favorite movie of all time. Um, it, it, there's so much of my um, teens and 20s in that movie that it just, I, I make such a connection with it, and I think that's why I like it so much. But if you've never seen it, if you're not familiar with it, or it's been a while, it's about this small town Indiana high school basketball team that overcomes all of this adversity and actually wins the state championship. And it's based on a true story. And so when the team arrives at Butler Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, which is where the state championship is played, and that's what you see a picture of up on the screen, these young players, all high school kids who are from you know, a farm town, and have probably never been much outside the farm town. Now they're in the big city, and they go and they, you know, they walk into this place, and it's a 15,000-seat arena. And their jaws just drop. And their coach is sort of immediately is sensing the intimidation that they're feeling as they walk in there. So he goes through a couple of things to kind of help them uh, 
take care of that. First of all, he pulls out a measuring tape, just a regular measuring tape, and he has the shortest player get on the back or the shoulders of the tallest player, and he asks them to measure the distance between the basket and the floor. And he says, okay, well, how far is it? And the players say, 10 feet. It's like, okay, 10 feet. And then he has them take the tape and measure the distance from the free throw line to the basket. And once again, he says, so how, what, how long is the distance? And they say, well, it's 15 feet. Okay, 15 feet. And then the coach says, well, you know, those are the exact same measurements of our gym back in Hickory, which is the town they're from. And so the team sort of laughs, and the tension is broken, and uh, they go on to prepare for the game. And I bring this up because I think sometimes what our problems need is a little bit of perspective. You see, we can get, there are times when our problems look as big as Butler Fieldhouse. And I think when that happens, we've all got choices, a choice to make. We can get scared, we can get intimidated, we can get panicked and freaked out about it. Because you think, well, I've got to deal with this all myself. And, and look how big this problem is. Or you can remember that where the game is actually played, the dimensions haven't changed at all. And I know this is maybe not the perfect analogy, but what I'm trying to say here is that regardless of how big your problem is, there are certain elements that never change. And God is that element that never changes. Right? The size of the problem can change, but God hasn't changed a bit. As I said earlier, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you can remind yourself in that time that you belong to a God who the Apostle Paul says is for us, and if he's for us, who can be against us? So we want to go into a, a time of sharing of communion now. And uh, you should have in front of you, in the seats in front of you, a little container that has a wafer on the top and um, a cup with some juice in it. And I'm going to bless our elements and pray over them, and then we're going to take communion all together. So Father, I just, I thank you now that you never do change. And that when we face these problems that we come into from time to time, help us always to, re to remember to reflect on the fact that, that you never do change and that you are with us and you are for us. And that no matter how bad a problem gets, there's a way out. There's a way through. And it may not always be pretty and it may never be perfect, but sometimes that's just because of the lesson that you need us to learn as a result of it. And so, Father, as we are remembering that you never do change, we also remember that 
there was a time when you chose to put your life on the line for us so that we might have relationship with you, the relationship that lasts even into those dark times. So we recall that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread and he asked his father to bless it. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he says, take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then further along in the meal, he took a cup from the table and again he asked his father to bless it. And this too he shared with his disciples and he said, take this all of you and drink for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, blood that was shed for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. So, Father, we thank you for the great sacrifice of your Son. And we thank you for this way of reminding ourselves regularly of what that sacrifice was and who it was for. So I ask you now to bless these simple elements that everyone here holds. A tiny piece of bread and a small cup of juice that you would make them to be for us your body and your blood. We bless them now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Help them to nourish us and to strengthen us as we go forth to deal with all of the problems and challenges that we face each and every day, knowing that we don't face them alone. body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Amen. This is the part of our service where we move into our ministry time. Um, and I was telling um, every week we have a staff meeting, and um, sometimes we plan out what we're going to do as far as if God's leading us in any kind of direction. And I told them this week, I kind of, I might have texted you actually, I might not have said it in staff meeting. I kind of feel led to pray for healing this week. And Harry, you kind of beat me to the punch, but that's good. Um, so what I want to do is, if you need a physical healing, I'm going to ask our prayer team just to come forward. Or to actually actually go to the back. That way y'all don't have to walk forward. Sometimes that can be uncomfortable. And we're just going to pray for any physical issue. I know if you have any other issue, of course we want to pray for that as well. But sometimes there's just times where you feel God is up to a specific thing doesn't mean he won't do something else as well. But if you've come in here today with a physical issue, I just really feel a strong anointing for healing this morning. 
And, that, and people online as well, I know you can't go to someone and get prayer, but we're going to pray for you right now. Um, but let's all bow our heads. What we're going to do is pray together, and then if you need prayer, find one of these people in the back or me, and we'll pray for that healing. How many people in this room believe God can heal your body? Amen? He's a healer. I understand that there's churches and teachings that teach, you know, that's for the old days, but we just watched it happen. Father God, we come to you this morning during this ministry time, and we're trying to do our best to hear your voice and to partner with you. And Lord, I just feel so strongly there's physical healing, Lord needs to take place. Lord, whether it's for us, Lord, or maybe we need to get prayer for a family member or a friend. Father, would you right now bring a spirit of faith into this room? Faith to believe that nothing is too hard, that nothing is too big, that no sickness is too strong. Lord, faith that says, I know what the doctor said. Faith that says, I know I've been in pain for years. Lord, the same faith that the woman with the issue of blood had, who was bleeding for 12 years, but she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And then when she did, Lord, you said the power left you. And you said her faith made her well. Give us that kind of faith. That kind of healing. Father, I know there's other issues, Lord, and we want to pray for them too. And Lord, I know there'll be breakthrough on that as well. Father, for every person watching online who is having any sort of physical ailment, Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm feeling this. I'm trying to pray and not preach. In the name of Jesus, right now, invade where they're watching. Touch their bodies and bring complete restoration. If you feel the spirit where you're watching right now, if you feel like God is touching you, or you have a prayer request, go ahead and post it in the chat, post it in the online group, post it somewhere. You can post, you know, post a testimony if you feel like you've been touched. But right now, Jesus, come and touch the people online. There's no distance in the spirit. You can transcend it. So, Father, for leg pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, stomach issues, whatever it may be, cancer. Father, if somebody's watching who is going through some sort of rehabilitation and the doctors and the nurses are saying it's going to take such and such time, in the name of Jesus, we pray for divine acceleration of recovery. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, for anyone in this room who has a need, don't let pride get in the way, Lord. Let them ask. Lord, your word says we have because we don't ask. And your word says ask anything and it'll be done. It says by, our, by your stripes we are here healed. Our wounds are healed because of your wounds. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. So God, heal bodies. 
I also feel led to speak that there is someone here who has had a deep, or you may be watching online, has a deep-rooted bitterness. You have a deep-rooted bitterness. You know it's there. It's a grudge. You call it what you want. The Lord is dealing with that right now. And you've been asking God when the correct time to release it is. God, I don't know when to make the phone call. I don't know when to send the letter. I don't know when to send the email. It's now. This is your sign. I'm not a comedian, but this is your sign. This is your moment. If you need, there's no clearer sign than right now. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is saying, now is the time for forgiveness. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't need to know. I know it hurt. I'm not, when we forgive someone, we're not letting them off the hook. We're not saying that it's okay what they did. We're not saying that it didn't hurt. What we are saying is we are representatives of Jesus Christ who hung on a cross and as he was dying said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because that's the bloodline we carry. That's our family heritage. We're not grudge people. We're turn the other cheek people. And if you're watching or you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, right now is the moment to do so. That bitterness, that pain, that anger, that sadness, that wandering, that confusion, that lack of knowing who you are, that lack of knowing where you're going. <laughs> Jesus can set you free. Jesus can put you on the right path. Jesus will bring things in order you don't have to clean up you don't have to be perfect you could have been out all night last night you can be a drug addict you can be all torn up you can be angry you can be whatever that's not the point the point is to come to him and then just bring it to him and let him deal with it what he wouldn't ask you to come to him if he expected you to deal with it on your own that, that's not the point you wouldn't need God if you could have done it by now All you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. So, Father God, as we move into this ministry time, may every person who comes for ministry receive. Receive what you would have them receive, Lord. We honor you, God. We give you praise. Lord, keep us safe, Lord, for those of us who leave and are going. Lord, protect us and bring us back together. But God, in Jesus' name, don't let one person who needs something from you leave this room without doing something to receive it. Because they have a purpose and every moment they're not walking in that purpose, they are missing the opportunity that you are giving them to reach someone, to change something, and to set, uh, to set an example for, for someone else. Because the devil's not just after individuals. He's after, not just after you. He's after your kids. He's after your grandkids. He's after your neighbors. 
He's after everybody in your path and he knows that if you can get straight and you can get right and you can get everything going for you and you start following Jesus, that you're going to start taking kingdom ground. And every moment that you walk around burdened and, and, and heavy, you're wasting time, wasting time. So in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, our prayer team is in the back. Just find one of them and they'll be more than glad to pray with you.